You are listening to the Permission to Burn Your Manual podcast. I am your host, Kathy Whaley, MD, physician and life coach. Do you want to live the life you choose? A life that is by design rather than by default? Well, that path to the life you choose is uniquely yours, and it's filled with limitless potential. So join me and burn your manual. This book that defines our expectations of self, but also holds us back. Together, we will forge, innovate, and refine as we go along. Hello, hello, friends. I am so excited to be here with you today to offer my first podcast guest. So as a reminder, you are listening to the Permission to Burn Your Manual podcast, and this is Kathy Whaley, MD. I am happy to host my friend Nisa, and I'm going to share an interview that I did with her uh, not long ago. Nisa is a special human who is a psychiatrist and also a mindfulness instructor. She became involved with mindfulness and stillness very early on when she was a resident. And she has made mindfulness and stillness very approachable and accessible. I only wish that I had had Nisa and her most recent released book as a way to get started. So I interviewed Nisa in the context of being addicted to busyness and struggling with the idea of creating a habit of stillness. And I hope that you will find this helpful in learning how to create that habit or to use it as a coping mechanism when you're trying to learn to undo some of these habits. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and enjoy the interview. Okay, folks, I'm here with my friend, Nisa. Please introduce yourself and tell everyone what you would like them to know about you. Yes, thank you. So my name is Nisa Kiyashian, and I am a psychiatrist. I live in San Jose. I'm also a longtime meditator and yogi. I went through yoga teacher training, and I've done several clinical mindfulness programs, And I blog about all of that at A Mindful MD. And I have a book that just came out called Practicing Stillness, which is all about incorporating more stillness into our busy lives. Yep, absolutely. So I'm so glad that you joined us. What I talked with my listeners last week about was about being addicted to busyness. So How this applied for me was that anytime that I had a few days off, I felt like I was going to claw out of my skin. I just could not, like, this is how I was pre-coaching, but I just could not be still. And it almost became, you know, it was definitely a habit or an addiction, I would say, to busyness. But I would find myself filling my days off just like to the brim with things that really were not value add to my life. And so the end result was I felt productive, but I hadn't actually done anything that took care of me. So I recognize this as a big problem because it's that discomfort 
when you have those moments to be still, but it's that discomfort that drives you into action, right? Because you need that clawing out of your skin feeling to go away. So what I hope that you'll help us with is for someone who doesn't know anything about mindfulness or is unfamiliar, how do they learn to increase their tolerance to the still? How do they start? Yeah, so sorry, I totally know what you're talking about. I have that same issue that I still struggle with to this day. I think so many of us tie up our worth in what we accomplish and how busy we are. We feel like it's a merit to who we are if we get a lot done. And so we have a really hard time slowing down and being still. And so this is really a huge challenge, but I really feel that if you are intentional about it, you can do it. And what I highly recommend is starting super small and giving yourself a ton of support. So what I would recommend is start with like two minutes. And also guided meditations can be really helpful with starting. I think that a lot of us have this sense with meditation that we're doing it wrong, that we have to completely clear our thoughts. And if we're not totally Zen and peace-like, then we're doing it wrong and we're just not good at it and we should just give it up. And that is a mistake. (laughs) There's a saying, one of my favorite sayings, that any meditation is a good meditation. So as long as you get to your cushion or your chair or wherever you meditate, that's awesome celebrate it. And if you don't do it, let it go and just start over again the next day. And it can, it can be as easy as setting an alarm for two minutes and just concentrating on your breath. And you want to focus on your breath where it feels the most pleasant in your body. So not really like thinking about your breath, but really feeling your breath in your body. And then your mind will go everywhere. It will go to your to-do list. It will go to something someone said yesterday And that's just what the mind does. The mind produces thoughts like the mouth produces saliva. It's not that your mind is doing anything wrong. It's just what it does. But whenever you notice that your mind has left your focus, whether that's your breath or other sensations, you just gently and kindly bring it back. And every time you do that, you're just strengthening your ability to be present And it gets easier and easier with time. Uh, Some people, though, really benefit from guided meditations. And so I'm sure you're familiar. There's many apps that you can get. Mm -hmm. Right now for healthcare providers, I think you can get um, 10% happier free for a year. I'm not sure if that promotion is still going on, but it was going on for a while. But there's also Headspace. And Calm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I noticed um, you mentioned present and in your book, you, you note it's 50 simple exercises to slow down, live in the moment and find peace. So what is important about living in the moment? Yeah. So I love that question. So the present moment is the only moment that we ever have. It's never the past or the future. Those are just thoughts in our head. Mm -hmm. But we spend so much time in our heads thinking about the past or worrying about the future that we miss the only moment that we ever have. And the more time that we spend in the thoughts of the past and the future, 
the more this creates this like discontent or um, kind of it, it contributes to anxiety, depression, rumination, and we're really habituated to it. And so the practice of mindfulness meditation really teaches us to keep coming back to right now, Mm -hmm. which is really the only moment that it ever is. It's only ever right now. Right. So I, another thing I really loved about your book was that you offered ways in which to find stillness and live in the moment in everyday life. So this wasn't just like, go find your perch and meditate. This was how do you incorporate it into everyday life? What is one of your favorite ways to incorporate it into your everyday tasks? I love being outside. I love um, walking, you know, I love going hiking, but even if you can't get to a hike, you know, even just like walking down the street, I think being outside really helps us be present because there's a lot of sensations coming in that maybe we don't have quite as much when we're inside. Um, And I think it connects us a lot to kind of like our bodies as well. Mm -hmm. I think also being with pets is also another like huge way that we can be present. Cause I think, you know, our pets are very present. They're not caught up in the past and the future, right. you know, and a lot of times, you know, when we start going about our days, we just automatically go on autopilot. We just check out and start thinking about something totally different. And if you start practicing walking meditation, I think that's like a huge way to like integrate this presence practice into your life. When we're walking, there's so much going on with our bodies that we just totally zone out to. Mm -hmm. Like, what is your right hip doing when you lift up your left foot? You know, what part of your foot hits the concrete first? And if you really ground into your body and notice all the sensations, the more you pay attention to these things, the more when life gets busy and hectic and you're kind of running around and you start to feel frazzled, the more you can ground into your body and come back to the present. Yes. I'm a big fan of walking meditation. My sister is a mindfulness instructor and also a psychiatrist actually. Um, (laughs) And so back at the beginning of the pandemic, that was something that she offered to me as something that might help. And she sent me links to these guided meditations for walking And they were really fantastic. And now I've sort of spun it into something that's a little different for me, where I will go walking or go on a hike, but I will pick a place and stop. And then I really focus on all of my senses. So like I pause for a little while and I'm like, okay, what do I smell? What do I hear? What do I see? Because it is a very present moment. And when I am walking and so into my mind, I really miss all of the things that are happening around me. Um, The subtle things, right? Like birds chirping just becomes background noise for me unless I'm really paying attention. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. What about chores? Because I noticed that there's a part in your book about how to incorporate into chores. Yeah. So I think 
the moment that this kind of became huge for me was after I went on this uh, week-long silent meditation retreat and we were all assigned chores and I was assigned uh, preparation in the kitchen before meals. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I've ever been super into chores. I mean, I've always had to do them. My mom had me doing them from a young age, but it wasn't ever something that I super loved. And I, I was never like really into cooking that much. But I think this time on this retreat that I spent like very present with chores, I realized this is just like another way to meditate. You know, this is just like another way to practice being present. And so uh, the stillness practice in the book is before you do any chore in your house, just commit to doing it in a present way for at least like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. You know, so many of our chores, we just totally zone out and we're just lost in our heads and we miss out on so much. And then we're just kind of perpetuating this habit of just being absent from our lives. Mm -hmm. And so chores or really anything is a way that we can decide to like come back to the now and be fully present for right now. Right. I I love how you talk about that. And it. I mean, that reinforces the idea of the autopilot mode because it's very true. I mean, it's it's a mechanism that our brain does to help us get through our day efficiently so that we're not learning everything all over again every single day. The things that are routine become autopilot. The problem is, is that everything becomes that way and then we're not able to focus on the moment. Exactly. And we also don't show up for the people that are here, like right here and now we just kind of zone out. And then sometimes that contributes to like certain narratives that we have in our head, like, you know, certain identities that we build up for ourselves and for other people. Right. And the manuals. (laughs) And the manuals. Right. So I'm curious if I think about a busy healthcare professional who might be a single parent to young children, how does one carve out those moments for stillness when there's so much sensory input going on all the time? Because I just imagine my household and I'm not a single parent that have two boys that are five and nine and are just the most loud, rambunctious things I could ever imagine. (laughs) And so I actually find myself putting in earplugs when I need less sensory input, because I can still hear them just fine with the earplugs. Right. So, you know, I could see myself sitting in my car. I mean, that has happened sometimes where on my way to or from work, I give myself a little extra time in the car just to be because it's the only place that I can come up with that's private and quiet. But for somebody who truly doesn't see that option for themselves, how do Mm -hmm. they practice stillness when they're experiencing a tremendous amount of sensory input? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question. There's another saying that if you don't have time for meditation, you should probably be doing it twice as long. 
And the reason that saying is, is because if our lives are so hectic and so crazy that we can't carve out, you know, five, 10 minutes, then we probably need even more <laughs> than if, if we weren't that busy, um, just to have more internal peace. So what I super recommend is set your alarm for like, even like starting out. Cause like I said, starting out, I recommend like two minutes. Some people want to start out more and then they get super restless and, and they just kind of set themselves up to fail. So set your alarm for five minutes earlier. The best is to do this when you're not having to take care of other people, you know? So if you have children at home, if you can set your alarm for five minutes earlier and, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, take medication, but just get to your cushion or your seat and just meditate for two minutes. You know, I think the best thing you can do is like pick a dedicated time. So, you know, for some people that's first thing in the morning, some people can't do that. So it's like at lunch, you know, like, so can you just take five minutes outside of your lunch? Um, some people that's in the evening, um, or at night, After the kids go to bed after the kids go to bed, the best time to do it is a time that you can commit to it daily. Okay. So try to pick a time that you can commit to daily and try to let go of judging your meditation. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm bad at this. I'm not good at this. Try to let go. So one of the principles of mindfulness is non-judgment. So if, you, like I said before, if you're meditating, it's a good meditation. Let go of this like impulse to be like, oh, am I doing it right? Or I'm not good at this. Right. It's and, practicing self-compassion, compassionately observing that if a thought does come and you see awareness, it's saying, oh, hello, I recognize you. And then refocusing. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, this concept called beginning again that Sharon Salzberg talks a lot about that I love. And I think it applies so much to our lives because we get very distracted in our lives. And so if we can notice when we get distracted and decide to begin again, so like in meditation, when you get distracted by a thought and you realize that you build that awareness and then you come back to your focus of meditation, you're beginning again. And that's where the healing part of meditation is. And then also in your life, if you have a goal or you're moving towards something and you get distracted, can you come back and begin again? Mm -hmm. And can you do it without like beating yourself up? Right. There's a, right. A, a lot of meditation teachers talk about it. Like you're training a puppy, you know, if you're training a puppy to stay, if the puppy leaves, you don't want to like yell and scream and get super angry at the puppy. That's just going to make it so much more difficult. So it's same thing with us. If you, if you leave, you just kindly and gently come back. Yeah. Or like probably training a kid. Like very exactly. similar there. Okay. So <clears throat> here's my next question because this was an issue for me initially uh, as I was trying to learn stillness. So we know that thoughts create feelings and I would find myself having thoughts in the midst of my stillness that created a tremendous amount of anxiety. And at this time, it was, again, the beginning of the pandemic. So sort of living in a chronic state of anxiety anyways, like I would say my stress hormones were chronically elevated. So I didn't beat myself up for the mind wandering, but I had a very hard time calming the anxiety level down 
even when refocusing. So let's say that someone is in the midst of practicing stillness, their mind has wandered and they have created, they now have some distress. What is something that they can do or several Mm -hmm. things that they can do in the middle of this practice of mindfulness that helps them diffuse some of that so that they can refocus without the anxiety kind of stalking them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, So there's a saying that if insight or mindfulness is one wing of the bird, then the other wing of the bird is loving kindness meditation. So in loving kindness meditation, we offer phrases like, may you be safe, may you be protected to ourselves and other people. And uh, an offshoot of loving kindness meditation is self-compassion practice. And I have found self-compassion practice to be very healing. So sometimes when we get very overwhelmed by emotions, self-compassion practice can be this beautiful thing that we offer to ourselves. A lot of times um, we have this habit when we get overwhelmed, whether it's like anxiety or sadness or anger, irritability, we have this habit to just kind of perpetuate our suffering why am I like this? I'm always going to be like this. What's wrong with me? And those thoughts kind of just perpetuate the discontent that we're already in. And so self-compassion is this kind of opposite way that we show up for ourselves. So just like if your child was like upset, you wouldn't want to like interrogate them with a bunch of questions about like what's wrong with them, right? You'd want to show up in this loving, kind way And this is what we can do for ourselves. So I think the easiest way to do this is, I think a big part of this is something called soothing touch, right? So like holding your hand or like giving yourself a hug or putting your hands on your heart or like one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly and taking a moment, just noticing how you're feeling, like bringing mindfulness, like, oh, I'm really stressed right now, or I'm angry, or I feel dysphoric or whatever the word is Mm -hmm. and pausing and, you know, feeling the soothing touch, because even if the language doesn't help us, you know, the touch sometimes can just be healing and then trying to figure out the most calming thing that you can say to yourself. And for some people, this is difficult to come up with. And if it is difficult for you to come up with, you can think of somebody that you love dearly and who you think takes really good care of you. And like, what would that person say to you? Mm -hmm. Some things is like that I'd like to offer is like, it will be okay. You've got this, or this is temporary. This will pass. Um, One of my favorites is I promise I'll always show up for you. We in the past, like I was talking about before, have this habit of abandoning ourselves when we're not feeling good. and. So to promise to yourself, like, if you're not doing well, I promise I will continue to show up with love and kindness and compassion. And that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I have sent it to my listeners, but I will do so again. But Kristen Neff has wonderful self-compassion exercises on her website. Some of them are you know, like videos you watch the guide and sometimes they're just step-by-step things. And she also has that test you can take that 
checks what's your self-compassion score. And then you can do the things for a month and then recheck to see if you've gained some ground. But it's a really, it's a really neat um, resource for sure. Yeah, her work is so good. Yeah, it is really good. And for me, my um, my loving kindness phrases when I started trying to redirect myself was like, I am safe. I am well, you know, that the anxiety wasn't reality, right? Because for me, there was a lot of that anticipatory anxiety, that psychological conditioning of fear of Mm -hmm. anticipating how many people might die and anticipating how many freezer trucks we might have for bodies. And before shit had really hit the fan, right? It was just like, I had imagined the worst case scenario of what I could see. And then as New York, for example, started just like going down in terms of numbers and being so overwhelmed, it only added fuel to the fire. But in reality, in that moment, I was safe and I was well. Yeah. It hadn't happened. And I mean, only worst case scenario that we imagine rarely happens to the degree we imagine it. Exactly. So it's an amazing waste of energy. Yeah. So much of what we worry about never happens and the hard things in life that do happen, we don't anticipate. Mm -hmm. But we spend so much time. And so, you know, I think self-compassion, loving kindness can be really healing for those very difficult emotions. Um, But I think it also goes hand in hand with insight and mindfulness, right? Because like, ultimately we can, we can show up with kindness and compassion for ourselves when we're overwhelmed with emotions, but also we can make space for all of these emotions, right? And we can build awareness because a lot of times we're just like resisting the difficult emotions. Like we're just like fighting off the difficult emotions and that resistance just leads to our suffering, One of my favorite mindfulness equations is suffering equals pain times resistance. So human pain is inevitable. You can't avoid it. But if you lessen your resistance to that pain, then you lessen your suffering. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if anxiety comes up in meditation, you can practice self-compassion, but you can also just create space for the anxiety. Right. Right. And allow the feeling. And I think that's, you know, that's definitely where I ended up in the sense that I don't find anxiety distressing like I did two years ago, but I also recognize that until I had mastered my mind more and my thoughts more, I really needed coping mechanisms or else I abandoned stillness because I just got to such a high distress level of increasing my own suffering that I chose not to sit with it. I guess I could have, but it was again, this desperate need for escape. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point because also, you know, some people do have negative experiences when they meditate, you know, there is some cases in the literature 
um, that some people have had really negative experiences when they meditate, you know, so if you feel like you're running into any of that, I think it would be really wise to get, you know, either kind of a spiritually informed therapist or a meditation teacher, um, because there are certain situations, uh, particularly like severe trauma or some some types of um, you know psychotic illness that you know meditation can cause harm. Hmm. Well, that's a wonderful point to share. Absolutely. Okay, so tell us about your book because it just came out. So give us the scoop. Tell us what it's called. Where can we find it? Yeah, so it's called Practicing Stillness, and you can find it on Amazon. I think I've seen it like at Target and Walmart and like Barnes and Noble as well. And essentially, it is two introductory chapters and 50 stillness practices. So it goes over the history of stillness, you know, from the Buddha, a little bit about Christianity, yoga, uh, stoicism, and then mindfulness. Uh, and how that's practiced today in many different settings. And then it goes over the foundations of building uh, stillness practice, uh, what I referenced earlier, the seven principles of mindfulness, which I super love, and um, just like how to carve this time out for yourself, what to expect, because there are challenges with this. And if you kind of know those going forward, then you won't get so thrown by them. And then the second part of the book is just a list of 50 practices. And it starts out with very basic things like mindfulness of the breath and grounding practices, body scan, walking meditation. And then it kind of builds from there. I talk about self-compassion for difficult emotions. I weave a lot of like psychotherapy into it as well. There's like some inner child work and forgiveness work. And then like you were mentioning weaving stillness practices into just like day-to-day things like chores or traveling um, or just any kind of other uh, context that we find ourselves in. Right. Yes. I absolutely love this book. So folks, I have no affiliate at at all. I got an advanced copy and I ate it up and carried it around with me for a hot minute. But I really wish this book had existed for me two and a half years ago when I was exploring this because I was one of those people that was having some distress and attempting. And I think I would have benefited from an instructor, but I saw within this book really what I needed because it made it approachable with some sort of safe, non-threatening ways to do it that really incorporated into my everyday life. And I really love that the introductory chapters also are talk about different cultures. I think that is, I, I realize that that is part of mindfulness, but I don't always see that that information or education is offered. Awesome. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you feel that yoga enhances your mindfulness practice or does it? So, yeah, I really strongly feel that way. Uh, I love yoga so much, um, as you probably know. Um, so when we talk about yoga, a lot of times we're just referring to like the physical asana practice of yoga, 
but that's actually just one limb of yoga. There's eight limbs of yoga. Uh, so, you know, yoga includes, you know, meditation, it includes breath work, it includes, um, you know, higher states of enlightenment. So, um, you know, yoga and mindfulness have and meditation, there's huge overlaps um, of all of it together. Uh, in terms of just like the physical practice of yoga, that super helps me. I am a very much in my head kind of person. I can spend hours and hours thinking and ruminating and obsessing and yoga really helps me ground into my whole body. And for me, that's like healing almost instantaneously. When I'm caught up in my head, I carry like so much tension in my muscles and I just kind of become disembodied. It's just like, um, I'm like existing up here and yoga really helps me kind of get into my whole body. And there's so many different types of, uh, physical yoga practice. So I tend to do uh, more like vinyasa yoga, which is like more kind of like cardio. And then I do some like strength building yoga, but the best kind of yoga for me actually is like restorative or yin yoga, um, which is super activating of like the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's like you're holding these stretches for long periods of time and your body gets to kind of just relax and unwind. And for so many of us that live with like a high sympathetic nervous system tone, you know, mm -hmm. doing this like restorative yin yoga kind of balances that out more. So, so yes. that could potentially be another intervention if someone is trying to meditate, but is getting in that really worked up state, there could be a pause, go do this, do some yoga and then return? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of meditation retreats will alternate periods of like walking meditation with sitting meditation, but you can do the same thing with like yoga and sitting meditation. A lot of times if you do something physical before you sit, sometimes it helps facilitate uh, more stillness while you're sitting. Okay. That's a very good tip. Do you have a suggestion for online resources for yoga classes that have a lot of variety? So there are a number out there. Um, there's a lot of like on demand. So yoga works is one option. Um, I think they have a lot of videos. Uh, I haven't used their service in quite some time. So I'm not that familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally like the Zoom classes because it feels like you're in community because often like the teachers will speak to you. And they'll speak to the class and you're there. And so there's like some element of like accountability, right? With like a video, you can just like turn it off and be like, I'm done, right? <laughs> like, right? If you've like logged into a Zoom class, like you might feel a little bit more inspired to finish till the end. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's many teachers that have Zoom classes, you know, so I would look around. There's a lot of, you know, local yoga studios. Um, I use core power yoga, um, which tends, they do have a couple restorative classes. 
Um, but a lot of their yoga is more kind of like vinyasa yoga and they do a lot of like also yoga sculpt with like with weights as well. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking for the busy person or someone who might work night shift where they want it to be, I don't have to drive anywhere. I just have to wake up and be available for this hour. Um, I think that's a big convenience factor. And so many people are exercising from home ever since the pandemic hit. I just, plenty of people went back into the gym, but I don't think it's as many of us as there were before. Yeah. Oh yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. And remind everybody if they want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? So I'm on Facebook and Instagram at a mindful MD. And you can check me out there. Okay. Anything else you want to tell the listeners? Um, what I would say is I think if you can establish some type of stillness practice, whether that's meditation or yoga, and it doesn't need to be seated practice, it could be walking meditation. I think that is one of the best investments that you can make. Uh, just bringing more peace, you know, I'm sure everyone you know, right now understands, you know, a lot of the turmoil that just surrounds us globally right now. And I think that if we can start with ourselves and trying to create more peace inside of ourselves and our families and spreading that out to the community, I really think our world is going to be better for it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Are you ready to start making progress, forging the path to the life you choose? Well, visit me at freedomforphysicians.com. Here you will find free resources and guides for any healthcare professional ready to get started. As always, I'd love to hear from you, so don't hesitate to reach out.